This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome. It's another fine summer Sunday on your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We're celebrating World Breastfeeding Week. The theme this year, protecting breastfeeding, a shared responsibility. Human milk a living biologic substance that's much more complex than the sum of its nutritional components. Aside from key nutrients, human milk also contains living cells, growth factors, bioactive substances like antibodies that help with baby's immunity. Many of these factors are not broken down by acid in the baby's immature GI tract, so they help protect baby against infectious and non-infectious diseases. Breastfeeding, now also called chest feeding, offers short and long-term health and developmental benefits to children and their mothers. Today, we welcome two very special guests, each with a wealth of information. Dr. Katie Dorishow is an obstetrician and gynecologist at Mainline Health, who is also a great advocate for breastfeeding. You'll also hear great tips from Sue Beckholt, a nurse lactation consultant, also from Mainline Health. Welcome, Katie. So glad you're here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Of course, Katie, so much great information. Let's begin with benefits for the infant, for the baby. Tell us about skin-to-skin contact. As soon as the baby's born, while they get used to the outside world, you put them right next to the mom immediately. Tell us about that mother-infant bond. So that is the goal here at Mainline Health. And in many places, we really try to honor what's called the golden hour, which is the first hour after a baby is born. Um, And if mom and baby are able, we try to get them skin to skin. And that triggers all the cues for the baby. You may have seen some babies will actually crawl up their birthing parent's belly up to their chest and laugh without any assistance. But really that triggers the baby to sort of root around and look for the nipple to get ready to laugh and breastfeed. It calms babies, it helps control their blood sugar, their heart rate, and all of the adjustments that they need to make in the outside world. 
And I know that uh, breastfeeding also, as we said, it stimulates development and function in the lining of the GI tract and that popular word microbiome, the good bacteria in the GI tract begin at that early stage. And then it helps the baby because it decreases the risk of diarrhea and other issues. Tell us about those other topics. So this is a very hot topic in many fields of medicine, uh, particularly your field, GI, but also in obstetrics and neonatology. So the development of the microbiome, all the good bacteria that help the baby's GI tract, that is accomplished both with delivering vaginally, but also with breastfeeding. So there was some talk, and there still is, though it's not recommended by obstetricians and gynecologists and our governing organization, ACOG to practice something called seeding, where you actually swab a vagina for a baby who was born via C-section to try to develop that microbiome because there is some benefit to the baby's microbiome being born vaginally. So instead of the seeding practice, which is thought to be potentially risky in terms of seeding an infection for the newborn, you can actually do that with breastfeeding. So that can help in a premature infant providing breast milk, whether it's direct breastfeeding or whether it's via express milk and pumping that can help to stabilize and establish a microbiome that's going to pre prevent infection, something called necrotizing entero enterocolitis, which can be very dangerous for premature babies. And just in general, babies are fussy and their GI tract takes some time to adjust to life outside of the uterus. And so giving them the best start with breast milk can really can really establish a healthy microbiome, which has long-lasting benefits. Mm -hmm. And we talked the other day, I know early on during nursing, it lowers risk of diarrhea, ear infections, pneumonia, even SIDS, sudden infant death. But it is, has also been shown with improving and faster development of vision and hearing in premature infants. And long-term, there's evidence that if nursing, even once it, once it stops, it may lower incidence of ear infections. And as the child develops obesity, type 1 and 2 diabetes, heart risk, celiac, inflammatory bowel disease, even uh, cavities. So um, we want to talk a little bit about maternal benefits. We have about 30 seconds. Let's start there with some of the benefits for the mom. So benefits from the get-go for the mom, um, oxytocin, which is the hormone that you have released when you are breastfeeding called the feel-good hormone. That can help with mood. Um, it's a great way to bond with your baby. There is a quicker return of the uterus to normal size, which sometimes can be a little disarming because it feels like uterine contractions, but that's actually a good sign that a baby is latching well. That's how your body slows down postpartum bleeding. Um, it can be, especially where there's not great access to contraception, it can be um, a very helpful way for family planning and spacing, although it is not recommended as the only form of contraception, um, where you do have access to contraception. Uh, mm -hmm. So really, yeah. It's a great start. Let's take a little break and we'll hear more from Dr. Dorishaw from Mainline Health. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor with our guest, Dr. Katie Dorishell. Katie, we talked about 
some of the benefits for baby and mom. And we know that it may delay ovulation, but don't count it on as a guaranteed form of contraception, right? Um, but as you say, if it elevates levels of oxytocin, it may lower the risk for postpartum depression. I love the long-term benefits that you mentioned the other day, decreased risk for breast and ovarian and uterine cancer. What other ways does it benefit mom? So I think one of the, the most important that I think most people don't know is that reduction in breast and ovarian cancer. So for people who are at high risk and people who are at average risk, that's a tremendous long-term benefit. Also, breastfeeding long-term benefits benefits moms in that it reduces their risk of type 2 diabetes and also of, of cardiovascular disease that's linked with high blood pressure. So it can help with physiology returning to normal. And the longer that you breastfeed, the more benefit that you get. Mm -hmm. And you talk about um, low milk supply. What are some of the risk factors? Breast size does not dictate milk supply. I remember you saying that if somebody has smaller breasts, it simply means they have less storage capacity, so baby might nurse more often. But what are some of the things that do put someone at risk for a low supply? So breast size really doesn't even dictate storage capacity. So you can't judge a book by its cover when it, when it comes to breast size and milk supply. It really can vary. Um, I think just knowing something about how milk is formed in humans that during pregnancy is the first stage of when the body readies itself. And then after the hormone levels, such as progesterone, drop in the first four days after delivery, which is interesting because it's different from some other mammals and animals where that happens immediately at delivery, we are not that way. And so it's very normal at the beginning. And I think Sue will give some insight about this too. There is a big difference between perceived low milk supply and real low milk supply. So I think most breastfeeding parents worry that their baby is not getting enough. Um, there are definite ways to measure that objectively. And I think it's also important to know that frequent feeding is not necessarily a sign of low milk supply. Babies, normally newborns, can feed eight to 12 and sometimes even more times in a 24-hour period. So mm -hmm. I often hear, you know, the baby just finished nursing and I'm already getting cues again. That's really normal. And that's how babies bring in that milk supply after delivery. Progesterone levels drop. And then it's all, what I always say, it's all demand and supply. So sure. the more that you feed and or you pump, the more your body knows to make milk. You so, keep the assembly, keep the assembly line going with that way. How about previous breast surgery? If somebody's had breast reduction or augmentation, does that interfere with uh, milk supply? It often does, and especially breast reduction. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't breastfeed after reduction, and there is a whole organization dedicated to what's called DFAR breastfeeding after reduction. Um, and with varying degrees of success and also knowing the importance of defining your own success, uh, you can combination feed, exclusively breastfeed, pump. There are so many ways to get around breast surgery and still have a very rewarding breastfeeding relationship. After mastectomy, you can breastfeed with just one breast. Okay. Now, all of our patients, whether I'm a GI doc or you're an obstetrician, we always tell our patients, please tell us if you're taking any medicines, either prescriptions from other doctors, over-the-counter or supplemental uh, 
medications because it may interfere with milk supply or affect the baby. Tell us a little bit about that. Are there any groups of medications that women should know um, that can affect their milk supply? So, yes, it is always good to review all prescription, over-the-counter, supplemental medications with your doctor. There are some surprises that many people don't realize that taking things like antihistamines or decongestants mm. decrease milk supply. Diuretics can temporarily water pills can temporarily decrease milk supply and estrogen especially in the first month or so so in a, in a combined oral contraceptive pill or a birth control pill that can definitely impact milk supply negatively so it's important to discuss with your physician for sure boy that's important for people to hear and while nursing i'm sure patients ask you can i drink coffee how about alcohol how about uh uh cannabis there are three things that I'm sure that come up frequently. Excellent questions. Um, coffee, definitely. And, you know, with a premature baby, I think it's important to discuss with the pediatrician, the NICU physician. Um, but coffee generally is absolutely acceptable. Most people don't see any stimulant effects on their baby when they breastfeed after drinking coffee, and you don't have to space it a certain amount of time from a feed. Alcohol does not cause anything like fetal alcohol syndrome during pregnancy. So we say no alcohol at all during pregnancy, but with breastfeeding, it's actually fine. You just want to make sure that you're safe in terms of how you're interacting with the baby, but you don't need to test your breast milk with strips. You just need to make sure that you are able to safely care for your baby and that you don't fall asleep in an unsafe way with your baby. Mm -hmm. Um, and in terms of things like CBD, so all the cannabinoids, um, that's becoming more popular for many different things, but is really not recommended during pregnancy or breastfeeding. Right, because the metabolites are passed in the breast milk, so please keep that in mind uh, to our listeners. So intake, we know that you ask uh, moms to add another 500 calories a day to make sure baby's getting enough nutrition, drink while you're nursing, try to get in four quarts a day. But calcium, back in the day when I had children, 2,000 milligrams a day, but now we know that can be detrimental to your heart if you take too much. You would recommend dietary calcium as opposed to taking the pills. Try to get in the calcium to protect your bones as the baby is nursing. So um, tell us, what other kinds of issues affect the infant's ability to nurse? Because I would think that's a really important issue, too. Right. So sometimes there are medical issues with a baby that prevent that golden hour from happening and from breastfeeding directly from happening at the beginning of life. And that's not to say that you can't transition from pumping to direct breastfeeding, but just simply prematurity can affect the baby's ability to latch. And even surprisingly, in the late preterm, around 35 or 36 weeks, or even early term, 37 or 38 weeks, sometimes those babies are not experts at latching yet. And, you know, mm -hmm. patience is key because if you give it a few weeks, if you have a baby who's, you know, a few weeks shy of your due date, Oftentimes, it takes those few weeks to really get the hang of nursing. Um, mm -hmm. There can be musculoskeletal issues, structural issues such as cleft lip or palate that can impact the baby's ability to latch successfully. And also, tongue tie is another one that can impact latch. So you always tell your patients, don't quit on your worst day. There's so much help out there. And even like nipple and breast pain, I know oftentimes, most often, it's because of improper Latching with the baby and with help from a, a lactation consultant or your doctor. Uh, sometimes women feel engorgement or plug ducts. How do you, how does a patient 
realize that they have mastitis and how do you treat that? Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. So that's a really important point and a really important thing to differentiate. Breastfeeding is not all sunshine and rainbows. The baby doesn't come out and the clouds part and there's a bird sitting on your shoulder. It is really a labor of love and it is really hard work. Um, So trying not to get discouraged with initial breast pain, which most of the time is just from an improper latch and can easily be corrected with with the appropriate support, engorgement, which mainly is not milk. It's actually fluid, lymphatic fluid and tissue edema. So it's just swelling of the breast outside of the actual milk duct. And knowing, and I think Sue may talk a little bit about that, but knowing how to aid the baby in latching when the breasts are engorged, which will not last forever, that's really important. And getting through those first two weeks when that's really when your body is laying down all the pathways to establish a good healthy milk supply. So trying not to get discouraged by initial pain and not to just grin and bear it, but to reach out for help is very important. Mastitis mastitis is when you actually start to get an infection. So plugged ducts are really common. There's a great resource, um, tellymom, K-E-L-L-Y-M-O-M.com, and they talk very, very deep in detailed fashion and with great accuracy about how to relieve a plugged milk duct. If that can't be relieved, it puts you at risk for a breast infection mastitis. So often that's just a firm, red, tender, painful spot in one breast, sometimes both, accompanied by fever and oftentimes just general general feeling unwell. A flu-like, flu-like symptoms are often associated with mastitis. Mm-hmm. And I know, so if you have a fever, you're going to call your doctor stat. Sometimes you might see a little bloody uh, discharge from the nipple, uh, maybe a cracked nipple. But sometimes with the onset of milk production, it's not so upsetting if there's a little blood, but call your doctor. Two quick things in our final minute, Katie. The COVID vaccine, American College of OBGYN, ACOG, now recommends the vaccine during pregnancy and during breastfeeding. We want to reinforce that to our listeners, Yes. That is true. So it's very exciting. It was now, as of last week, there is a formal recommendation from ACOG and also many other OBGYN-related groups, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. So across the board, it is now recommended that anyone who is eligible, who is pregnant and breastfeed and or breastfeeding, should get the vaccine, not just be offered, but get it. Good. And in our final 30 seconds, Katie, I know you are a huge advocate for breastfeeding. Mental health is the most important issue. Most of the time, we can get you through the first couple of weeks with pain or, or teaching the baby to latch properly. You're going to say, reach out to me, your doctor, uh, because your mental health is the most important issue. Breastfeeding doesn't always work out for everybody. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. We learned so much. And I hope we have you back in the near future about other issues in obstetrics and gynecology. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you. Happy breastfeeding week. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Welcome back to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, and we welcome Ms. Sue Beckold, MSN, RN, certified by the International Board of Certified 
Lactation Consultants, and a full-time lactation consultant at Lankanal Medical Center in Mainline Health. Welcome, so so great to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me today. I appreciate the opportunity. So we just talked to Dr. Dorishal, and we know that as soon as that baby is born, skin-to-skin contact is so important to get the breastfeeding initiated. It's, it's natural to the little baby. But it still takes time to adjust because even though it's a natural process, there's a learning curve for mom and baby. Tell us, I'd love to hear your expression to say it's a dance. Tell us about that. Yes, as you said, everybody has to get into their rhythm and the books and magazines and things you see on TV just make it look so natural and so realistic that you think there's no learning curve. I just put the baby to the breast and it's all wonderful. But it does take time and practice. And moms usually expect as soon as they have the baby that they're going to have two breasts full of milk all ready for the baby. And that's not quite what happens. It takes initially uh, about three days for the full mature milk to come in. So what the babies get initially is colostrum, which is the first milk. And it's thick. It's called liquid gold because it's yellow in color. It's concentrated. And babies have very small stomach sizes, about the size of a grape. So they're getting teaspoons at this time and not taking full ounces. It's really important, the colostrum, because it provides antibodies for the baby and also prepares the gut so that they can protect against disease and bacterial infections for future. After three to four days, like I said, moms will notice that their breast starts to fill. And then we say the boob fairy arrives and she will know. Her her breasts get very heavy and she will know when her milk is in. You know, you look back, if if you've ever had children and you've nursed, I do remember those different points in time. But I've never heard colostrum called liquid gold before, but it really is. As you say, it's packed with antibodies. We just talked to Dr. Dorishow about the um, milk is not just a combination of good nutrients it has antibodies and growth factors that help the baby with fighting infection and all those good things so what are the goals of breastfeeding let's talk about short and long-term goals the uh, the the american academy of pediatrics really wants to see moms exclusively breastfeed for the first six months and after six months and in introducing uh iron enriched foods to open the, the baby's diet they recommend trying to breastfeed till a year of age yes Correct. And then after that, it can be as long as mutually desired for mom and baby. So there's many moms who go beyond that first year, but any breastfeeding you do, whether it's short term or long term, it's your personal goal. And you shouldn't feel any pressure to do what someone's telling you to do, but it has to be what works out for your lifestyle and you and your baby. Um, So anything you give that baby is awesome, especially that beginning colostrum, because we call it the baby's first vaccine due to all that antibodies. Good, good way to remember it. So how does a mom know if her baby's getting enough? I know that's a worry for a lot of first-time moms and, and moms who have with their second or third child. That's the number one question I get, I think, when I'm working in the hospital is, how do I know my baby's getting enough? And it's hard when you can't visualize with a bottle a certain amount the baby's receiving. And because the colostrum is such small amounts, no one understands that their baby is that their stomach is that small as well. But newborns should be nursing at least eight or more times in 24 hours for the first two to three weeks. And you want to breastfeed on demand. As often as the baby wants to feed, that's how often we want to offer the breast. The baby should be actively sucking at the breast. And once your milk's in, you will hear swallowing. But you don't want a baby who's just laying there content and snuggling against mom for active feeding. The baby should be satisfied after feeds and content. 
And you want to watch for the feeding cues, like I said, and feed on demand. So if the baby's rooting and sucking their hands or um, turning their head, lipping their, <laughs> licking their lips, all those type <laughs> of things are good um, feeding cues to watch for. And that's why we encourage moms to room in because that way they won't miss feeding cues and they can see and learn their baby's um, rhythm. Also, crying is a late sign of hunger. So you don't want to wait till your baby's really fussy and crying because then we've oh. missed some feeding cues. Some babies are the opposite and you have to actually wake them, especially in the beginning because they're sleepy babies. So no one wants to wake a sleeping baby. So they think that means baby doesn't need to eat. But you do want to wake the baby even um, every three hours or more in, in during the day and evening. Um, unwrap the baby, change the diaper, talk to the baby, stimulate the baby, but don't let the baby just sleep at the breast. The more feeds the baby has, the more milk you're going to make because it's all supply and demand. So every time that moms put the baby to breast, the moms um, make more milk. It's use it or lose it. And I guess so. the reverse is true. Yeah. If you miss a feeding, you're decreasing your supply. You're you're turning the, uh, the factory <laughs> speed down a little bit. And those first two weeks are so critical because that's when prolactin, the, the chemical that stimulates um, making milk, that's when those levels are turned on, especially especially during the night. So you don't want to miss nighttime feeds. Am I right about that? Yes. And that's something a lot of moms think, oh, I can sleep in and have my support person give the baby a bottle. But unfortunately, you need to stimulate your breast either with the baby nursing or with giving a, um, you pumping and the baby gets a bottle, but you would have to pump during that time. So there's no sleeping in, especially those first nights. And the baby's not going to be on any schedule. So you don't have to worry that you're never going to get a good night's sleep. But that first month or so, it's normal. Babies are going to wake up and need to be fed overnight. Sure. And you want to avoid supplementing with formula. That's such an important thing to share with our listeners. Tell us about that. Yes, there are times when it's medically necessary for the baby to get formula, but assuming that you have a healthy term baby who's doing well, by giving formula, what happens is you're feeding less at the breast, so you're going to make less milk, and then you're going to need to give more formula, so you kind of start that cycle. Also, babies get used to that very easy, fast flow, and that's not how it comes out of the breast initially, so they can get a little fussy or frustrated at the breast. And lastly, there is a possibility of nipple confusion because most mom's nipples don't look like the nipple on a bottle. So what are the three C's of breastfeeding? I know you mentioned calm, comfortable, and close. Tell us about those issues. Right. So we don't ever want to force a baby at the breast. No one's pushing the baby towards the breast or pushing on the baby's head. We want everybody to be in a calm, relaxed situation. So if the baby's fussing, we put the baby skin to skin and let mom calm that baby before we start the nursing session. You want to make sure that mom's in a comfortable position. You don't want her leaning over or not supported with pillows. She should be comfortable and sitting upright and usually pillows or a boppy, any of those kind of things will help so that she feels comfortable. And then the last thing is you want to make sure when you're latching, that you have the baby extremely close, belly to belly, the baby's head and body should be aligned, and you want to wait until the baby has a big, wide mouth latch. So it's kind of like you're eating a Big Mac, and you kind of put your head back and open wide, make that nipple sandwich, and bring that baby into mom. And it shouldn't be painful for the mom, right? Part of it, or most of the time, the number one cause is incorrect latching, right? Yes. So moms will say that it hurts like mildly for the first 30 seconds, and then the pain definitely decreases. If mom's having continued pain or pinching throughout the latch or feeding, that needs to be corrected because you're only causing some kind of damage. And also, um, you're not going to have letdown as well if you're all tense and uptight for pain. So you shouldn't be feeling that. 
So get help with, with people like Sue, lactation consultants, or your doctor. And I want to just rewind the tape here a little bit because we talked about it's typical for babies to lose weight in the first few days. All babies go through that. They usually start to regain their weight once mom's second milk or transition to their mature milk happens, right? So by, by two weeks, maximum three, you want to see baby get back to at least their birth weight. And also by day five, am I right? We want to see six to eight wet diapers a day at least at two to three pale yellow CD stools per day. Is that about right to monitor intake? Mm -hmm. That's correct. The output shows you very clearly how much the baby's getting. The Mm -hmm. urine volume is so the baby is showing isn't dehydrated and the stools are showing um, the baby's calorie intake. So once your milk's in, you should definitely notice an increase in the output as well as, as you said, the weight will start to increase again. We don't let babies to lose more than 10% if they're a term baby in those first couple days. And then as soon as your mature milk's in, they will start to Um, gain the weight back. And usually by 10 to 14 days, most babies are back to birth weight and then we'll continue Mm -hmm. to put on weight. So we talked about some of the causes with nipple pain with Dr. Dorishow. And as you mentioned, incorrect latching or if the baby hasn't learned to um, coordinate the sucking motion, there's help with that. Um, well, how do you treat nipple pain? What are some of your magic? You must be the angel of mercy when somebody's, (laughs) you know, in excruciating pain. It's usually the really the most rewarding part of the job, because if you can fix the latch and they no longer say it's uncomfortable and painful, they get a big smile on their face. So that's the number one thing. You always, always, always want to check the latch. We also do an oral assessment, have the baby suck on our finger and kind of see what's going on with the mouth and tongue. Um, A lot of times, as soon as you get a wide mouth, deeper latch with that baby looking up, things improve greatly. Changing positions when you breastfeed also helps so that you're not kind of tugging on that same sensitive area. But we show all moms hand expression for two reasons. A, they actually get to see there's something there and they really like to see that. They get excited. And also it has antibodies to heal wounds. So when they're done feeding, if they express a little breast milk or colostrum and rub it on their nipple, that will help heal um, sore nipples. You should repeat that, so. That's sure. fascinating. Fascinating, <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the breast milk or colostrum actually has antibodies that helps to heal wounds. So therefore, if you rub some on mom's nipple after she's done nursing, if she uh, hand express, that's going to help treat sore wow. nipples along with air drying and, as I said, proper latch. They've probably done that for thousands of years. <laughs> wow. Definitely, definitely is the easiest trick. Mm-hmm. If mom needs something more, then you want to maybe put um, some nipple cream or pure lanolin or their saltwater soaks. And if things are really bad, you can call your OB and get all-purpose nipple cream or triple nipple cream or some prescription to help. Mm -hmm. But that's like chapstick. It's not going to make it heal, but you feel better. So when a mom returns to work, um, does the stress decrease the milk supply? Um, It definitely can. So if mom plans ahead in practice. She wants to be in a calm, quiet area where she feels comfortable with a lock on the door. She can put a do not disturb sign on. She can massage her breast prior to pumping and look at pictures of the baby while pumping or put some relaxing music, stay hydrated. All those things are going to help. Mm-hmm. We have about a minute left. Uh, and I like the idea that you mentioned bringing a baby's blanket, the baby's blanket so you can smell the baby and it helps with milk letdown. Um, let's zip through if we can in the final minute here, some of the specifics that you list, obviously staying hydrated, Tell us a few other things that will really help mom stay on the ball. 
You just want to have a well-balanced diet. You need about 500 extra calories. You want to take your prenatal vitamins. Don't look for supplements to make your milk supply increase. It's really pumping or actually feeding the baby that's going to be the best thing. You want to avoid um, antihistamines or decongestants that can cause decreased supply along with hormonal birth control. Sage, parsley, and peppermint also can do that. But as far as medications, most medications are safe for breastfeeding. There's a slight chance that something isn't, so you always want to check with the pediatrician to be sure that your medications over-the-counter and prescription are safe for breastfeeding moms. Mm -hmm. And if the baby has eczema or a little blood in their stool, tell us about that. That could be sometimes from something in mom's diet. Normally, we don't tell you there's a list of foods to avoid, but it's still possible that that can happen by um, something that is in mom's diet. So you would want to talk to your pediatrician about that. So drink, drink, drink while you're nursing baby. Water. Yes. (laughs) Water. (laughs) I sound like mayor of Easttown. Water, water, W-U-D-E-R. We'll be right back after this little break with your radio doctor and Sue Beckold. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1-888-RECOVERY. And in our final segment, talking about breastfeeding with nurse lactation consultant Sue Beckold. Sue, I want to clarify, when, when I was saying that it's like chapstick, that's the... Um, the, the nipple lanolin. butter, yes, yeah. the lanolin, but the prescription really does work in healing. So what are your favorite myths about breastfeeding that you like to explain away? Um, a big one I hear is that my breast size is, or my breasts are too small, so therefore I can't breastfeed. And believe it or not, size does not matter. It's all supply and demand. So you might have to feed more frequently. You might pump a little less per pumping session because of the storage size of your actual breast tissue, but you can still make as much milk as the other moms. Also, people think their breasts are too large and they're going to smother their baby or hurt their baby. <laughs> and if you just, there's positions you can do that help, especially doing um, football where you hold the baby along the side. There's lots of tricks, so you don't have to worry about that. I, I didn't mean to chuckle, but I think of being told, I think of a helicopter mother, you're smothering your kids, but we don't want to smother them with breast tissue. We want to smother them with love. Okay, go on. And um, a lot of people will tell you they're just that they think breastfeeding does have to hurt, and that's just the way it's supposed to be. And we don't want anyone to think that and just, you know, go with it. We want you to realize that's usually pain is a red flag and to get some help for that. Mm-hmm. A strong latch can be different until you adjust, but it shouldn't be really painful. Another thing is um, most people think that uh, breast milk is not enough for the babies and they have to supplement. Grandparents are telling you your baby's not getting enough and they're also trying to tell you to give a bottle. Again, because you can't see what the baby's getting. But we talked about the signs and most moms who are exclusively breastfeeding as long as they feed on demand can make enough milk unless they had breast surgery or some other medical issue. Mm-hmm. So don't listen to grandma. Exactly. So, uh, and the other important take home is breastfeeding is legal in all 50 states. So don't don't let anyone harass you in public. Now, let's be reasonable. We're going to cover up, right? Tell us a little bit about that. And moms don't have to put like a whole cover up so that their baby's head is under the cover. They call them hooter hiders in the old days. And uh-huh. um, you, you don't have to do that. It's very easy to breastfeed discreetly. There's lots of garments out there and you're not out showing all of your breast. When the baby's on, there's really nothing you see. You probably see more at the beach. Yeah, that's a good point. So what are the resources that expectant moms who are listening can reach for websites or reading materials? Tell us if you would. 
So the great news is there's a lot of information out there that can help moms with breastfeeding. Number one is take a prenatal breastfeeding class if it's offered. Most places have that available. It'll really help you to have realistic expectations. You also want to check with your insurance company. Many insurances pay for a home lactation visit and sometimes Mm. more than one. Otherwise, there are outpatient lactation um, resources that you can go to. There's breastfeeding support groups. There's virtual support groups. You can also go online and there is kellymom.com, which has great parents handouts and evidence-based information. There's the Infant Risk Center, which gives you information about medications and safety while breastfeeding. Good. Mm-hmm. There's La Leche. There's the Nursing Mother Alliance. Um, wherever you deliver, they should definitely have resources that they can give you for your area. Or you can just go online and, and Google it, and you'll find that there's a lot. There's also an app called Pacify, and a lot of times there's free codes you can get for that, and you can get 24-7 virtual lactation help. Mm-hmm. And and so when it is time to wean, uh, it is a personal decision, we know. And the context has to include how many other children you have at home, what your demands for work are, and, and the mom's health. So it's important to remind listeners, if they are in the process, to not wean abruptly. Tell us about that in our final few seconds. Sure. You want to do it slowly so that it's not traumatic to you, the baby, or your breast tissue so that you don't run into mastitis or plug ducts. Um, Also, some people get really sad when they end their breastfeeding journey. So if they do it slower, sometimes it helps you and the baby. I remember when we had uh, puppies one time and the little puppies come out with no fur on their faces. So they get that skin to skin. I never knew that. I mean, that's the whole mother baby bond. It's it's so beautiful. And uh, we've learned so much from listening to you today and Dr. Katie. So as you say, remember any amount of breastfeeding a mom does, whether it's for a week or a day, that baby's getting colostrum and all the help of those antibodies and nutrition. Any final words, Sue? Um, Believe it or not, it is World Breastfeeding Week, and the theme this year is protecting breastfeeding, a shared responsibility. It takes a village. There's lots of help out there, so don't suffer in silence. Make it a successful journey so that you can meet your breastfeeding goals. Well said and well done. Sue, thank you so much. Beautiful presentation, valuable information. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the chance. And now for your real champion. I call this segment King of the Road. In 2017, Jeremy and Chelsea King pledged their love to each other and got engaged. Three short months later, Jeremy was diagnosed with a brain tumor. After complex surgery, he had weakness in half of his body, a blood clot in his lung, and meningitis. Fortunately, Jeremy recovered, but he continues to struggle with balance and remains wheelchair-bound. The couple was overjoyed to learn that Chelsea was expecting their first child in March of this year. Jeremy is a CRNA, Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist, someone who's used to being the provider of health care. Now faced with physical limitations, he and Chelsea searched for equipment designed to enable a disabled parent care for an infant. They found a modified crib and other adaptive carriers, but couldn't find a user-friendly stroller that would allow a walk to the park, something others take for granted. Chelsea's a middle school theater instructor at the Bullitt School in Germantown, Maryland. With the new baby in mind, she approached a fellow teacher for help. Matt Ziegler, the instructor in the Bullis Innovation Technology Lab, teaches a course to high school students called Making for Social Good. Students use digital design software, problem-solving skills, 3D printers, and various tools and materials to bring very impressive products to life. 
Students collaborate in teams, brainstorm about problems and solutions focused on a common goal, aiming to serve others in need. For example, in 2020, Matt and his students made N95 masks and face shields for hospitals and first responders when there was a critical shortage of PPEs. With Jeremy's restricted mobility, the goal was to find a way to maximize his independence by connecting a stroller to his wheelchair. Matt challenged his 10 students ranging from 9th through 12th grade. They interviewed the Kings remotely and made a list of their needs for their empathy-based design. The wheelchair project would address safety and security of dad and baby, simplicity of design and utility, and flexibility for both wheelchair and stroller with a plan to adjust as the baby grew. Matt and fellow faculty collected a wheelchair, strollers, infant car seats to develop the design. He also purchased materials like aluminum conduit pipe, connectors, brackets, fine-tuning specifications and measurements. The end result? We stroll. This hybrid vehicle allows a stroller to be attached with a rod to the footrest on the wheelchair, providing a stable and smooth ride for both, even on outdoor surfaces. Students then created a metal framework for the front of the wheelchair, providing a safe connection for an infant car seat so dad and baby are face-to-face. This is a story with positive outcomes in so many directions. A story that Aristotle would hear and say, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. From this effort, Matt Ziegler imbued his students with a valuable lesson, use your skills to help those in need. These young students rose to the occasion. Chelsea King found a creative way to support her husband and prepare for the arrival of their new baby. As for Jeremy, he is the definition of gratitude. When I called to speak to him last week, it was hard to hold back the tears. I could feel his smile through the phone. He celebrates his newly found independence each time he takes his five-month-old baby Phoenix for a stroll. The final design wasn't a complete surprise because Jeremy had fittings along the path of development. But when the family of three took their first walk on a sunny day and neighbors stopped to marvel at the magic vehicle, That was the emotion-filled wow moment when Jeremy felt the lump in his throat and realized that he is the king of the road. We salute you, Matt Ziegler, and your students for your resourcefulness. We salute you, Chelsea and Jeremy King, for your positive outlook and for being a source of pure inspiration. Thanks for listening today and every Sunday. Listen to all our shows and champion segments on yourradiodoctor.net. Send us a story of a champion in your family or community. Sign up for our mailing list, yourradiodoctor.net. Ladies, come to Jefferson for the Pink Plus program. After all the delays with COVID, catch up on cancer screenings. With Pink Plus, have a mammogram, gynecology exam, and visit the GI doctor to discuss colon cancer screening. Three cancer screenings in one visit. Pink Plus, 215-503-1631. Pink Plus, 215-503-1631. It's August 8th. 79 years ago today, Francis Joseph Ritchie married Antoinette Marie Keating. The beautiful music of Francis Albert Sinatra kept their hearts connected through World War II. I sent a request to Frank Sinatra to sing, I've Got You Under My Skin. Happy anniversary, Mom and Daddy. Have a great week, and always keep in mind that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.